0: Welcome to Our Story, Your Story, the video podcast where we share our personal experiences and invite you to share yours. We are Toby Eunice and Shelley Carney, and together we'll take you on a journey through our lives and the lives of our family, friends, and guests. We believe that everyone has a story to tell, and we can all learn from each other's experiences. So whether you're looking for inspiration, entertainment, or simply a good story, You've come to the right place. Hello, and welcome to Our Story, Your Story. I'm Shelley Carney. Today we're going to be talking about uh, denial and defense.
1: And I'm Toby Eunice, and I'm with her.
0: (laughs) We're uh, a little bit more diving into some stories of Toby's childhood and how he deals with grief.
1: My children would tell you that I don't deal with grief. I just walk away from it. So mm. this will be interesting.
0: I don't. I, I don't. I don't think so because, well, not anymore anyway. Uh, because we've both had to deal with grief in the last month, and uh, it's been a process.
1: Mm-hmm. It it indeed has.
0: So.
1: I think I'm better at it than uh, I used to be. Well, yeah. And the more you do Comes anything the, yeah. the more you
0: <laughs> the better you are at it and of course as we get older we have to deal with grief a lot more often
1: so uh so that we don't grieve any more than we have to we'd appreciate it if, uh, before you leave today uh you like our video youtube likes it when you like our video subscribe to uh or share it with your family your friends your neighbors your business associates to see if they like storytelling as much as you do and as much as we do finally if you're not already a subscriber this would be the ideal time to subscribe that way whenever we start a live stream or drop a video you'll be immediately informed and as a result in the no so uh finally uh tell us what you think there's a uh, comment box down below uh, this video. Uh, Tell us what you think about what we're doing and whether or not you'd be interested in participating in one of our programs.
0: All right, so today we are working once again through A Gypsy's Kiss, a treasure hunt adventure. And we have uh, made all, all the way to chapter nine called Breakout. Let me just share the photo with you. This is a photo of Toby's Tia Lucia, Lucy? Aunt, Aunt Lucy. Aunt Lucy. Her boyfriend, Dick, and farmhand named Charlie.
1: So that was up at the property, uh, the the Espinosa property in Abiquiu. Uh, and uh, it was always fun to go up there. I didn't spend as much time there as I did at the uh, property, the Eunice property up near uh, Red River. Uh, but it was always fun to go to Abiquiu. And farmhands were... Uh, regularly, Native Americans uh, that would come to help in a variety of ways, from uh, herding cattle to, you know, planting crops. So it was it was a good it was it was nice because uh, it provided me a an insight to other cultures other than Spanish, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: This is a pretty long chapter. It's got several different stories in it. So um, we but the theme again we talked about is defense and denial, and as, especially as it relates to um, processing grief and letting go of regrets and blame. <clears throat> After lights out, everyone is in bed and asleep. I gingerly rise out of my bed and put on jeans, my boots, and casual shirt. I'm locking my footlocker and quietly sorting through its contents. I fill my leather satchel with underwear and socks, a couple of packages of cheese and crackers, and a Snickers candy bar. I grab the envelope containing the cash I saved from working for the Christian brothers. As I'm putting on my jean jacket, I notice Dave propped up on his elbows in the bed across the hall watching me. Where the hell do you think you're going? There's a definite big brother tone to his question. I think he probably sounds just like his dad if he caught Dave sneaking out. I'm headed out. I shrug like it's a normal thing to bug out in the middle of the night. Yeah, I can see that. Why now? And where are you going? Dave seems more concerned about my business than his own life. Looking back at him, I finish packing my satchel by stuffing the envelope of cash inside. I don't think it's MIT. I tease him with a grin. His head snaps back, recognizing the truth underlying my jest. He stares down at the foot of his bed, then back at me. Safe travels, buddy. He sighs and lays back down on his pillow. Walking away, I raise my right hand in a wave and whisper, thanks, over my shoulder. I'm not afraid of traveling alone. After you've gone out alone a few times, making your own decisions about where to go and how to spend your time, it becomes very natural, even preferable. Many times over the past few years, I've camped out under the stars for the weekend in the hills and deserts outside of Santa Fe, I would gather some canned beans and a canteen of water in my Boy Scout pack, jump on my dirt bike, and venture out on my own. When I came home Sunday evening, my mom would say something like, I didn't realize you had gone. Like a shadow, i glide smoothly out the door at the west end of the dormitory, down the walkway between St. Michael's High School and San Miguel Chapel, turning right along old Santa Fe Trail toward the center of town, the Santa Fe Plaza. The cool evening air blowing through my hair inspires a robust appreciation for nature and a thrill of adventure courses through my body. I anticipate getting back on familiar terms with independence and the outside world. There is still traffic, people and cars on the plaza as I cross it. Then I walk north on Lincoln Avenue to Federal Circle. Instead of going all the way around, I jump the low guardrail facing south, scamper through the grassy picnic area, and hop over the north-facing guardrail on the far side. Again, crossing Federal Circle, I find myself on the Old Taos Highway, which will take me all the way to Colorado, if I was going that far north. Not tonight, though. Right now, my destination is Abiquiu, then New Orleans. After that, who knows, wherever fate takes me. I turn around to face traffic, blinded by the headlights of the first vehicle to come along. I stick out my thumb in classic, hitchhiking style. Surprisingly, the first vehicle stops. I run the 30 feet ahead to reach the bright red taillights. It's a Neptune green 1955 Ford F-100 pickup truck in pretty good shape and practical. I open the door and jump into the passenger side of the bench seat. Thanks for stopping. I appreciate it. I nod to the driver. The driver, a middle-aged man wearing jeans, a flannel shirt, and a light jacket, looks at me from head to toe and back again. I notice the Winchester 3030 30 lever-action rifle hanging in the rack in front of the rear window. He is dark, New Mexico brown, made darker by daily exposure to the sun. Shadows of the night and a four-day stubble obscure his face. The inside of the truck smells like sweat, metal tools, and gun oil. I wonder if I'm making a mistake trusting a stranger to give me a ride. My fingers locate the door handle in case I need to jump out quickly. He reaches toward me and I flinch back. Paolo, he says, introducing himself, like Pablo, without the but without the B. Miguel, I say. I let go of the door handle to grip his hand and meet his eyes straight on. What the hell? You're just a kid. What do you think you're doing hitchhiking at this hour of the night? It's okay. I go to St. Mike's and my family is having a primo party up in Abiquiu tomorrow. I missed the last bus north, so I thought I'd hitchhike my way up there. That wasn't quite as big a lie as it sounded. The primo party took place every year at one of our family's properties, Abiquiu, Taos, or north of Red River. It was always a grand affair with family members coming from all over the state. Half of them would bring guitars and the other half brought a bottle of liquor mostly New Mexico's version of moonshine. It is called mula. Mula. Spanish for mule, because as was explained to me, it had a kick. (laughs) That seems to satisfy him, so he glances at his side mirror and pulls back onto the road. So who are your primos? Paulo asks. The Delgados and the Espinozas. But my family name is Eunice. The surprise of recognition colors Paulo's voice. Eunice? Like Toby Eunice? Toby Yunus, the car dealer, El Turco. Yep, that was my dad. He keeps his eyes on the road, but continues talking. I knew your dad. He was a hell of a guy. I went to his funeral. You were at my dad's funeral? Yeah, up in Taos. It had been snowing for a week, so family and friends from other places couldn't be there. They buried the three coffins on three different days, but I didn't know your uncles, so I only went to your dad's funeral. Furrowing my brow with envy, I tell him I didn't get to go. I don't tell him I'm still mad about that, and mad at my dad for dying, and mad at my mom for, well, for being my mom. (laughs) They called my mom to go to Taos because my father had been in an accident. My sister, my brothers, and I stayed behind at my grandmother's house with my tia Lucia. I remember we brought our parakeet Tweety with us to my grandmother's because we didn't know how long we might stay there. Tia stepped on our parakeet and squashed him. It was an accident, and she felt terrible about it. My sister and brothers cried over Tweety's flattening. It sounds kind of silly now that I say it out loud. I felt really bad for my little sister and my little brothers, and I felt bad for my Tia and poor flat Tweety. I had to sweep him up into a dustpan dustpan, and take him out to the trash. He didn't even get a decent burial. I mixed him in with used tamale husks and empty cans of sweetened condensed milk. (laughs) I haven't opened that shoebox of memories of what happened that day in a long time, but once the lid is off, the memories come pouring out. A few minutes later, the phone rang. My tia answered it, then said nothing for a minute. Tears started welling up in her eyes, rolled down her cheeks, fell onto her apron, and then to the floor. When she hung up, she looked down at us and said, Your daddy's not coming home. The truck continues to rumble along the highway while inside the cab all is quiet, except for the light tapping of Paolo's fingers on the steering wheel as it gives my memory some space to breathe. Your Tia squished your parakeet? (laughs) Like flat? (laughs) Yeah. I've never had much luck with pets. No? He asks. Nope. A couple months after my dad died, my mother brought me a puppy. He was nothing special, kind of a mutt, but he was a cute mutt and he was mine. I called him Dopey. About three months later, my mom was coming home from grocery shopping. She usually honked while she was sitting in the driveway and that was my signal to come out and help her unload the groceries. I visualized the home where I had lived and remember that my dad used to be the one to help mom unload the groceries. That job, along with many others, fell to me when he died this time was different though she didn't honk from the driveway she came into the house and said i think i ran over your dog i couldn't believe she would say it just like that so matter of fact like it was no big deal i went outside and sure enough she had run over poor dopey (laughs) i picked him up took him out back dug a hole behind the garage and buried him there I said an our father and a hail mary over his grave then went into the garage and made a small cross and burned his name onto it Paolo ponders this for a little while and then remembering something else says you know i got this truck from your dad it's a hard working truck and your dad he was a hard working man he had a good heart too i needed a new truck because my other one was busted it ended up rusting out in the field farmers you know we don't always have a lot of money, so I went to see your dad and asked him if he could work out some kind of deal for me. I turned my body toward Paolo, hungry for stories about my dad. He asked me how much cash I had, and I told him I had enough to put gas in the tank of the truck he was going to sell me if we could make a deal. So he asked me what else I had. I told him I had 400 pounds of pignon, 400 pounds of pignon in four burlap sacks, ready to eat except they needed roasting. I burst out laughing. Pausing without turning, he asks me, what's so funny? The pignon, I say. The damn pignon. What about the pignon, he asks. So here's the story on the pignon. I know that my dad traded a pickup truck for 400 pounds of unroasted pignon in big burlap sacks. My mother was madder than hell. He had to get my uncles to help unload it from the truck while he found a corner in the garage to hide the sacks out of the way. I recall how my father would call my mother when she was angry about something. He would put his arms around her and speak to her in hushed tones until he could make her smile again, but it didn't work that time. Every night after my dad came home from work and we finished dinner, we would roast some of the pignon and crunch our way through it while watching TV. By the third week of pinyon fest, we were all sick and tired of it. So my mother started giving it away to family and friends. That's when she discovered how much 400 pounds of pinyon really is. Eventually, she had used up all her relationships and we still had 300 pounds of pinyon left. So it sat there for about four months until it all went rancid. I guess every family has a story like this. One parent does something weird or crazy and the other one gets mad about it. The kids just sit back, stay out of it, and watch to see how it will all end. My mother nagged my dad about it until he eventually had a friend of his help him pack up the pignon and take it to the dump. A sad ending indeed for the 400 pounds of pignon. It's so funny a story we still tell it around the Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner tables. I'm sorry about the pignon, man, but I want you to know that if it wasn't for your dad and this truck, the bank would have taken my farm. Your dad saved me and my family, he recalls. Yeah. Like I told you, man, your dad would give you the shirt off his back. He had a big heart. Yeah, I agree. As big as a sack of pignon. (laughs) We laugh together for about a mile down the road. 48 miles later, my new friend, Paolo, drops me off at the front gate of the Espinosa property in Abiquiu. After getting out of the truck and closing the door, I step up on the running board and reach through the open window. I shake his hand and say, thank you. You don't have to thank me, Essay," he responds. I was driving up here anyway, and I enjoyed the company. Made the trip go by quick, you know. The trip did go by quick, and I appreciate hearing your stories about my dad. Buena suerte, little bro. Say hi to your mom for me. She's a good woman. Forgive her for running over, dopey man, he (laughs) says with a fond smile. I will. I appreciate the sentiment, but it's hard to forgive somebody who keeps pulling the rug out from under you. I can't forget about Dopey, or all the other things in my life she's taken away from me. With that, I step off the running board and wave at the bright red taillights as Paolo drives down the road and away from me. Well apparently you're uh, not (laughs) upset anymore about that.
1: (laughs) What is, uh, what's that saying, Uh, time, tragedy plus plus time equals comedy? comedy. Mm -hmm. That's how it sounds, It's just so funny sounding. So I, I suppose what made that period so difficult is that I still, still hadn't found a way to grieve in a form that would enable me to get past it. Mm-hmm. I was just mad, mm-hmm. mad at everybody, as you heard in that one sentence. Um, but with time, of course, comes the knowledge that that's life, Death is part of life; uh, that it comes sooner or later for everyone, and then you learn how to deal with it progressively uh, better. Uh, I had, of course, the the I don't know if I want to say the benefit of being in a war zone for two years dealing with it, um, and then as as I progressed and got older, people I started losing the people around me, including my brothers and sisters. So. Um, I, I feel like at some point, uh, I became neutral to the concept of grief. Like, oh, okay, somebody else is dead. Let's take care of it. <laughs> um, over time, which was a kind of a, a overreaction to where I was at the beginning of all this, you know, that that I, well, that the pendulum swung back this way to the other extreme. Like, Mm -mm. it's it's dead, man. What do you expect, you know? (laughs) Um, uh, To the point that even my children would caution me about my behavior when something like that happened, reminding me that not everybody, and I remember these words almost specifically from uh, one of my daughters, not everybody looks at death the way that you do. Meaning, you know, other people have... Uh, Have to deal with the grief associated with it, Uh, and you, you, you cold-hearted bastard! Don't. (laughs) They didn't. They didn't say that, but there was was the kind of undertone. I think now, as I've aged and uh, refined my um, emotions uh, uh, towards a little bit towards the other side, a little bit softer. Not not all the way to the other side where it's just anger, but somewhere in between, maybe a little bit closer to uh, to the openness to the idea of death being part of life. Um, but it's interesting to hear those stories. Um, it's 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 interesting to hear you reading those stories, my stories, because when you read them, they just sound funny. You know, they really do sound funny to me. My my mom ran over my dog. To this day, I'm going to share this with you. Whenever a uh, an entity, a business entity, asks me for a password that I would have to give them in order to you get into my account, you going to give your password away. It's not a password. It's a it's the. <laughs> It's the uh,
0: security, question.
1: Se- security question. The security question is, what's your dog's name? One of the security questions at the you is, what's your dog's name? I still use Dopey, believe it or not. So if you ever get asked a security question for Toby units, just say Dopey will get in. So it's not really a password. But.
0: Well, um, so the title of today's show is Emotional Denial and uh, Defense Mechanisms mm. because... I was talking to our friend Chad about this chapter and I was like trying to figure out, okay, what is the theme? Here's Uh a young man who's unhappy and upset and mad at his mom because he can't be mad at his dad because his dad died. So he, you know, the only person he can take it out on is the remaining parent. Uh And this happens in a lot of families when somebody dies or somebody gets divorced and the parent that the child ends up living with, uh, gets the brunt of all of their emotions, including mm. anger and um, being defensive. Mm. Uh, so, I think uh, it was a it was a good answer from Chad. And uh, you know, we we can get into the idea that um, when we're younger, we don't know what how to express and how to uh, work through our feelings because nobody really teaches us that. Mm-hmm it's something that we have to learn over time and and hopefully by the time we get to our current age we've figured it out you know how to deal with our emotions what how to express ourselves um and i think part of that is uh, you know a lot of personal development there's personal development and and We all get go through personal development in different ways. For instance, I did a lot of reading of personal development material. Um, I went through life coach training. I, myself, uh, was coached for, uh, I did intensive coaching on myself for Mm -hmm. six months. So I, you know, did a lot of development before we got into this, you know, the, the, thing that my husband had to go through you know with cancer and dying and everything so I was more able to express my emotions I was more able to grieve along the way you know uh-huh. with every new diagnosis like you know we would grieve and with every um, time they would tell us well this didn't work we are going to try something new we would grieve again you know and it went from last year they told us he had less than 10 years. Uh-huh. And then three months ago, they said, you know, three months. Uh-huh. So it it was a big jump. But uh-huh. we grieved all along the way so that when he did pass after that three months, we were, you know, we were a little bit more prepared. We had grieved in advance. It reminds me of um, when I had my second child. Uh, the week before I gave birth, I was experiencing experiencing a lot of Braxton Hicks contractions every night uh you know and I and I kind of knew what it was because I he was my second it wasn't my first so I understood what was going on and you know you'd wait a couple of hours to see if it would increase in intensity or if it would just dissipate and go away and then always would just go away until the night um that he was born but um it's a preparation for the birth. And I feel like because I went through all of that, all of those Braxton Hicks contractions every night for a week, basically um, it was an easier birth. So the same as because we grieved all along the way, it was an easier recovery once he passed because I could grieve, you know, one final time and then begin to let that go. Um, I think we also talk a lot about like anger and uh, resentment Mm -hmm. and um, defense mechanisms and being angry at people uh, or events, uh, but that's really a cover for, you know, grief or sadness. Mm -hmm. Or we we would rather be angry than sad. Mm -hmm. It's more productive. It's more. motivating, I think, mm-hmm. rather than being sad and just depressed and, you know, sitting in your corner and, and crying.
1: <laughs> I, I think I tend to agree with that, uh, simply because if you're angry, it, you have something that enables you to direct that anger into something. If you're sad, it's an indication of kind of a depression that enables you just to sit back and relish in your sadness you know and as i look at it I, I used to wonder a lot i don't anymore now that they're gone of course but i used to wonder what is it that my brothers and sisters all of whom were younger than me did to deal with the loss of my father and the the answer to that is i don't know i was removed uh, you know, from their experience, whatever their experiences was, by by being a boarding student at a high school, being a boarding student at college, entering the military, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I didn't have the kind of <clears throat> relationship with them at any time, at any time after my father father's death, mm-hmm. e- even into our later years, where I was able to have a conversation about how did you deal with it, right? I know how they deal, dealt with it. If there was rebelliousness, you know, I was the rebellious one because I, I was angry. Their rebellious, their rebelliousness took the form of things like alcohol, drugs, and bad marriages. And uh, and uh, although I guess I could have asked, like, what happened? Where did it go wrong? What made you decide to head this direction? Um, I, I I think the answer is they chose a way to deal with his death. Uh, that was significantly different and almost diametrically opposite of how I chose to do it. So the anger, my, the anger I was experiencing actually paid off in the sense that I was able to direct that anger, you know, that energy, um, that, that the energy, that, that's a good way to describe it. The energy associated with it so that I could do this and I'm going, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to go to college and I'm not going to be a lawyer. And I'm going to, then I'm, so I don't have to go to best Santa Fe. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to join the army, you know, uh, so a lot of that, uh, was the energy as the result of the anger. And, and I think I've said this before on, as we've made this up, by the time I got back from, uh, my first tour of Vietnam, I wasn't angry at my father anymore. Um, the energy had been used up. Mm-hmm. I could be angry at something else, mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> so that, that was, uh, a very positive experience now as I've of course grown older from that period in my early 20s uh, to where I am now, um, I feel different things. We talked about this, uh, I, I think, either yesterday or the day before. I went, And you mentioned um, that you weren't angry at anybody, that it was nobody's fault. You know, you weren't angry at the hospitals. You weren't angry at the doctors. You weren't angry at Kevin uh, for uh, it leaving you, et cetera, et cetera. You just accepted the fact that this was part of life that was – uh, I like the way that you described and I've used it several times since to tell people how you're doing. When they ask, I say, well, her, she's accepted the fact that this was his story, not hers. That, that uh, people that she understands that Kevin had his own story, that it did end the way that it was as much as she would prefer to have preferred for it not to be that way. Now she has to continue her story. Uh, his his life is part of her story, but it's not there. It's not life anymore. And so she's got a new story that, uh, that she has to build for herself. So I think that's, that's really an amazing, uh, position, uh, to take, uh, because it, it implies a complete understanding of what life, the relationship between life and death is life is existence. Death is not. And it's, and you didn't die. So it's not your issue, right? You're alive. Your issue is life, not death. And so it's great to watch you uh, e- e- not only experience what you're going through, but experience it in a way that is creating more growth and, uh, you know, I call it the Shelley evolution. You're continuing to evolve.
0: shelley evolution. Uh,
1: shelley evolution. Uh, <laughs> so you're continuing to evolve. And to me, that's always a, a positive aspect of um. Of, of uh, how I see our relationship, you know, your your growth, your evolution helps me to grow to understand a little bit more about life and grow and evolve.
0: So yeah. I've been watching um, <clears throat> I've been watching the Flash, on, uh on it's it's a ser- It's a series, and they have all the episodes on Netflix. And I've been watching it, and there's this one season where he goes back in time. And, uh, he saves his mother from dying and creates a whole new timeline, a whole Mm -hmm. new life. Um, but then other things get messed up because Mm -hmm. of it. And you have to think about what, you know, I am going to have to create a new life Mm -hmm. and things are going to be different. You know, we're not going to be spending our retirement years together the way I had planned. Um, new plans have to come about, um, But I can't change anything and, you know, I can't go back in time and make a new timeline where we actually do get to. But at the same time, you know, you kind of had it in your head. This was what was going to happen and here's where we were going to go and here's when he was going to retire and we were going to have grandkids and we were going to do this, this, and this, you know, travel around and visit his uh, brother in Europe and things, you know, we had talked about and we had kind of planned for the future before we knew this was all going to happen. And now it's a whole new timeline, right? It's like, okay, well, that's not going to work out. So um, what's going to happen in this new timeline? And maybe there's some new good things that will happen that wouldn't have happened before Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, maybe like we talked about, you know, getting a house together on the East coast and um, maybe I'll have some really great relationships with your grandchildren Mm -hmm. that would never have happened you know, had I taken that other path. Mm-hmm. So there are always going to be the path not taken and the path taken and what are the differences. And, and I think as long as we look for the really good stuff, no matter which path we're on, um, you know, we're going to enjoy our lives.
1: It, uh, so I am reminded of um, a story I've told before about how, my oldest daughter, Sean, had just graduated from high school. Had done really, really well. Was on her way to a, a scholarship um, uh, to the University of Virginia in archi- art. It was pre-architecture, but it was art. And um, and she was talking about the last four years of her life at Chantilly High School, the previous four years, and how much she, ha- how much fun she had, how much she enjoyed it. And she was kind of worried they were the best years of her life. And I corrected her, and I said. Um, the best years, if the best years of your life are behind you, then what do you have to look forward to? Um, uh, you can only look forward to a life of dreariness, I guess. So, and, and she wasn't the first, she was the first, but not the last of my children that I had to had uh, some conversation in that realm about the the, the the sense that they somehow have lived their, the great parts of their lives and and they have nothing to look forward to while the Actually, the opposite is true, and I think they're learning that. I think they now that they're in their thirties, they all realize that no, this is right. The life just keeps getting better, and and that's dependent upon me. And I made up a saying for it, and um, uh, I used to say to them, "You can't change your past. You can't make your past. You can change and make your future." And uh, I think once you start thinking in those terms, let your past go enough to believe that you can't change it, you can't make it. You can only make what's and, and change what's ahead of you. Um, that seems to be the road that, that they have chosen to take. Um, and, and it's true of all of the children, I, the, for, for the two older children who focus on their arts and things like that, it works for them too. They're, they're constantly, I'm always surprised at what they're doing next. And um, I like watching them, uh, that continued growth. Um, the kids on the East Coast are techies. And that's, that's their lives. That's what they've chosen to do. And it works for them. They're, they're not artists, although they have children that and you can tell inherited that little art gene uh, from the Delgado side um, that, uh, that uh, always, uh, uh, one of the funnest indications I have of grandchildren coming along is which ones are left-handed and which are showing indications of uh, art because I know that's a, that's a Delgado gene. That, that left handedness and that art. And we have a high percentage, we have a higher than average percentage of left handed people in the family. So it's always cute to see another left handed, uh, well, English or uh, McGarry or Fernandez de Castro.
0: So in the story, uh, this is where <clears throat> Miguel is starting out on his journey. He mm-hmm. has made that decision to uh, start this new life path. Uh, he's kind of like, We'll see where it takes me. You know, I'll go to New Abiqui, Orleans then yeah. I'll go to New Orleans, and then who knows? Uh, he kind of just blew out, you know, the whole timeline he was on, and said, "I'm done with that. I'm going to make my own timeline now, and I'm going to, you know, make my own decisions, and I'm going to go places and do things that I want to do, that without thinking about anybody else and what they want for me." Mm-hmm. So this is a a pivotal chapter, I guess, because it's the beginning of the journey. Uh, We established his, you know, normal world, and then we pushed him out on this journey. Uh And (laughs) because you did, you Uh did that. This is all real stuff. Toby actually did do this when he was that age. And um, what do you think would have maybe... Could you suppose you had never gone on this trip? What would have been different about your life?
1: Oh, my goodness. So what we described in this chapter, I would call the point at which an individual, in this case, Miguel, has experienced his spiritual, emotional, psychological, and physical breakout. Right. And that doesn't happen at 12 or 13 or 14 all the time. Most children go through a 12 or 13 or 14 period in high school, then they go to college. And at some point, maybe in college, they experience that breakout moment. If not, maybe their first job, right? This was early for that breakout moment. And so, because it happened so early, I have, uh, until you asked that question, I've never thought about how my life would have been different or or not necessarily, it would obviously have been different. But I don't know what my life would have looked like had I not had the breakout moment at that age. Uh, I imagine, as I think about it now, I would have finished high school, I would have gone to college, I would have done pre-law, I would have, you know, how I think I described it in the previous chapter, I would, then I would have gone to law school, I would have gone back to uh, Santa Fe to work for a firm that was familiar with to, with my family. And then eventually I would have started my own firm and eventually at a certain age, I would have gotten married to a nice Hispanic lady, had kids, bought a house up above Santa Fe in the hills north of Santa Fe, and or built a house, and uh, eventually have become a judge. I mean, that's that's the life that I think might've happened had I not had that breakout moment. But at the time, I also had a passion for motorcycle racing, you know? I had the support of the Huckabees, and I was racing for them, and and it that could have been a completely different life. But it's hard for me to imagine the alternatives. I mm-hmm. mean, even when you ask the question, I have to kind of, well, maybe I'd have been the, the whole lawyer thing, mm-hmm. you know. That's as close as I could come to a predicting what might have happened had I not had this breakout moment. The, break, the, the, the moment he puts his boots on, I, I didn't think about it when we were writing it, and I haven't thought about it since we've read it. But that moment, that's an interesting because we were not allowed to wear boots in at St. Mike's. Mm. And the reason was they had uh, these rubber soles on the, on the heels, and they would leave black marks on the uh, floor. Right. You had to wear hard heels or you had to wear like a tennis shoes, like a, not tennis shoes, the, the high tops. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you didn't see people in boots at St. Mike's. And the reason was they left marks on the floor. So that was kind of that moment of like, oh, man, we are putting on the boots here. You know, I'm going to leave scratches on the floor <laughs> to to. Uh, but that, that 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 multiple, you know, spiritual, emotional, psychological, physical breakout happened at that point. So I didn't have much of a chance to think uh, about how, what would have been different. Mm-hmm. You know, how how would my life have been different? My, I, I, the the law life would have been, I imagine, how it would have gone. There would have been no photography. There would have been no journalism. There would no been no, no documentary making, none of that. Um, it would have been a relatively normal, you know, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer, he's a dentist. Etc. Kind of, or, or he's a priest. Well, we already knew we we're going to be the priest. So. <laughs> um, so you don't you don't think about it. You just you just take the life. Hopefully, you've drawn right. You get you're playing a, a game of poker. You you draw a hand, and you go like, okay, well, let me play this out. No folding. Folding doesn't count in life, right? Mm. Uh, so you play that hand, and if you're fortunate, if destiny is or fate is on your side. Uh, it plays out well. Have all the times of my life been outstanding and great? <laughs> no, I've, I've had some difficult times. Um, but I don't regret uh, having led the life that I did, that I was dealt. I was okay with it. And I took my cards and I played them to the best of my ability and made what I wanted. And I'm I'm very fortunate. to have six loving children, would producing more and more grandchildren that i love even more and um and I don't think i can ask i think you and a, as a good friend uh i'm at age at this age one of those people who can say i i'm okay with where i am in life i don't i don't need a lot of th- other things you know if you handed me a check for a couple million dollars would would that change things eh, might change it a little bit it wouldn't change me i'd still be me and i'd still like who i am and maybe that's the important thing. Of all of this, leading the life that, to the best of your ability, that enables you to say to yourself, even if nobody else cares, um, I, I'm okay with who I am. I like who I am. I like who I've become. And at the same time, hopefully believing that there are other people who see you the same way. They like who you are. You know, you're not. You're you're okay with other people. And that's a good place to be at this this point in life, mm-hmm. you know, because I think a, a lot of people end up at this point in life and they're just angry about stuff. I run into them at the hospital, at the VA hospital all the time. I, it's hard for me to talk with them because they just seem to be angry. The, it's the, the VA this and the government that. And the,
0: Looking th- for people to blame. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so def-
0: I guess it's a defense mechanism, uh-huh. uh, and, it's, and it's a form of denial to blame other people and say, "Well, it's all their fault that I can't do such and such." Uh-huh. That gives me an out. Now I don't have to do the scary thing because somebody's in my way, and I get to blame them instead of doing the scary thing, whatever that might be: selling the house, moving across the country. You know, I can't do that because my mom won't let me or whatever it is. You find someone to blame, it's gonna hold you back. Uh I could blame uh, COVID for slowing down Kevin getting uh, a diagnosis. I could blame him for not being more proactive Uh about his health. I could blame uh, the cancer doctors for not giving him the correct treatments. You know, I could blame a lot of people. Doesn't do me any good just holds me back. Mm-hmm. So I think the best thing to do is to say it doesn't matter. That's the way it was supposed to happen. How do you know? Because that's the way it happened. And I'll let it go.
1: And and for those of you who don't know Shelley as well as I do, what the past couple of months uh, have been amazing in helping her to transition into someone who has to ensure her security or uh, uh, her health. And the things that she's doing to make sure that happens before she came over here today, she said she was stopping by the Social Security office. She's not a Social Security age, but there was business to be done. And so she went there and took care of business. And and the sense that I get of what she's going through right now is, and and it's not a, to me, it's not a mechanism that enables her to avoid what she has to think about. It's what she has to think about. And she's taking care of business. And it's really impressive to watch her every day move a little bit forward. Like all of us, she, some days she gets a little tired of it and wants to talk about it. And once we talk about it, she's fine again. She goes through the next day. So uh, I think that's, uh, I think what you said, the the avoiding the blame, uh, blaming, blaming the variety of things that could be blamed for this only supports the idea that you're stuck.
0: hmm like, and a victim, and a victim, and yeah. you're,
1: and neither of those help you to move forward. Exactly. Nobody is going to take somebody who's stuck in a place and a victim, their own victim, and help them to move out of that. They would rather see you saying, like, I hey, am, you know, what I'm doing? I'm buying a house, and we're going to move to the East Coast, yeah. and like you, you're, you have a plan.
0: The Lord helps those <clears> who help themselves. He doesn't come along and pull you out of a hole that you put yourself into. Right. Yeah. Uh, he or it, 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 you know, depending on how you look at it, Um, the law, uh, the laws of the universe will help you if you help yourself.
1: The laws of the universe tend to work in a positive way for positive people.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, there are both positive and negative laws. If you're a negative person, the negative laws of the the universe will help you get more negative. Mm. Uh, If you're a positive person, the positive uh, laws of the universe will help you get more positive and, and move forward.
0: Yeah. And if you're focused on the good things in life and being grateful for that, you know, instead of focusing on the things that you don't have, the things you lost, the things that, you know, upset you. Um, Here in this chapter, we have Miguel, who's just kind of telling funny stories. And we kind of wonder, you know, is he using this to cover up his pain? Is he trying to be... Uh, funny to connect with this guy Mm -hmm. you know we also hear how he was mad at his dad he was mad at his mom because he didn't get to go to the funeral he still holds that against them and um so there's a lot going on there where he's trying to figure out his own emotions and i think we all have to do that at some point we have to look at our emotions Mm -hmm. and not just laugh you know them off and cover them up with humor but um, actually look at them and say, you know, I felt this way. I, you know, I looked at it and I said, I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed today. Uh, what can I do about it? You know, feel the feeling, examine it, and then come up with a plan to, you know, help yourself out of it. Uh-huh. Uh, feeling overwhelmed usually means I'm looking too far ahead. It's like, just look at what I have to get done in the morning or in the afternoon. Or, you know, one thing, what's the next thing I have to do, instead of looking, you know, several weeks in advance. And that helps me when I feel overwhelmed.
1: The other thing that that occurs in this uh, multi-purpose breakout, as we've described it, is that it gives him something to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall any place in the book after this until he gets back on the train headed back to Santa Fe that he even thinks about the life that he's leaving behind. It was all living in the moment, whatever the, that moment happened to be, and whoever he was experiencing that moment with. He doesn't think about St. Mike's, or, or there's there's probably a reference to, boy, Brother Abden would have thought this was great, or something like that. <laughs> but other than that, it's it's his energy focused on what he's doing with this moment in his life and how it follows through over the next several days, because this wasn't months of his life. This was, this this consisted of uh, what Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, less than a week. Yeah. Right. As he went through all this, as all uh, this part of his life. And I don't think that he, I I talk like he's another person. He he Mm -hmm. didn't imagine that this would affect in a very interesting and probably positive way the rest of his life like okay yeah that was that's what you do you look for the breakout moment and you take it there you take it right mm-hmm. you do it you don't leave yourself sitting there moping in whatever negative experience uh, has come into your hands at any given point in time mm-hmm. this is an opportunity to do something yeah. anything other than sit in that hole that you've dug for yourself.
0: Yeah. And
1: unless of course it's a foxhole.
0: I've heard people who've worked in hospice and worked with people who are dying and elderly. And, and the thing that it seems to be the top regret isn't that they made a mistake when they tried something. Mm-hmm. It's that they didn't try mm-hmm. something. It's that they didn't go for it. They didn't have a breakout. They didn't follow through on mm-hmm. something. So I guess that's a good lesson for us that, you know, if you have an opportunity in front of you to try something new and different that, that could be risky, but it could be a big payoff, then maybe just go for it. And so you don't have that regret of not having done it later on.
1: The uh, it, I'm, it rolls back for me to the uh, command sergeant major rule. Um, take every bad job that nobody else wants. You know, it doesn't have to be bad, but every challenging job, the reason people call them bad or crummy is because they're challenging and nobody wants to accept the challenge. And I think that opens up so many doors for you when you start accepting the fact there are no challenging jobs. You can do anything you want. I mentioned to Shelley the other day, I was reading an article um, uh, written by an Asian comedian, and he was telling the story of this young man who uh, left high school to join the Navy, then joined the Navy SEALs, a- Asian young man, joined the Navy SEALs, uh, finished his, uh, after several tours in the, in Southeast uh, Asia and the Mideast, left that, went to school, was accepted into Harvard, graduated from Harvard uh, as a doctor, and now runs a practice that enables him to stop being a doctor and become an astronaut. And uh, the comedian's take on that was, gosh, I hope my mother never meets his mother, you know, meaning like your mother would have a whole different set of expectations for you if she knew about this kid that went from uh, high school to the Navy SEALs to Harvard to Harvard Medical School to uh, being an astronaut. And uh, that strikes me as a kind of person that saw whatever opportunities presented to him, and accepted them without the expectation of whether he could do it or not. He just did it. And what pleases me about that attitude is the conviction that you can do it, that we all have opportunities that are presented to us, and our first reaction to is, I don't think I can do that, rather than, oh, Harvard, yeah, I can do that. Whatever it takes, I can do that. Because you don't have to be a genius to to uh, go to Harvard Medical School. You have to be a hard worker. That's what it boils down to. And you have to be smart enough to be able to do whatever is necessary to do. So, I was impressed by the story. Yeah. Maybe SEALs, Harvard Medical School astronaut, took all the...
0: It's like... A th- Three lifetimes all squished mm-hmm. into one. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Each, any of those would have been a pretty successful life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He could have He could have stayed in the Navy SEALs, gone back to uh, Coronado, uh, you know, been an instructor until he retired. He could have gone to Harvard, gone to Harvard Medical School, uh, provided probably brain surgery. I don't know what his field was until he retired. Or he could become an astronaut, been an astronaut and eventually taught other astronauts how to fly to the surface of planets, you know, and could have retired. So any one of those is a full, you know, lifetime job. I don't think I'd want to be a son.
0: (laughs) 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 Got some pretty high expectations there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and probably would have to have his own breakout.
1: So what's the lesson in grief, in dealing with grief? In dealing with uh, loss that you've...
0: Um, Getting to acceptance is your primary directive. Uh, You have to find a way to get to acceptance so that you can move on. If you can't get to acceptance, you won't be able to move on.
1: Here's here's my uh, opinion on the matter of death. You didn't die. So now what?
0: you're still here you still got work to do
1: right it's not you that they're putting away or putting in the ground or uh or uh, uh spreading your ashes you're alive you have much to do and because you're alive
0: you can do it. Mm. that's all we have for today i hope that you have gotten some golden nuggets out of today's chapter, chapter nine, breakout. And that if you haven't yet watched or listened to chapters one through eight, you can go back and do that because it's uh, it's really good stories and they are real life and just give us a really good role model type, type of thing to follow along with and uh, prepare ourselves for these moments when we ourselves are ready to break out and making that decision, which path to take. So um, if you have a story about your own breakout that you want to share with us, please write to us at stories at agkmedia.studio. And we would love to uh, hear your story, read it on, on the air, if you would like us to do that as well. Um, anything else?
1: No, that's it. All right, I, I don't think I've laughed as hard.
0: I think that was the funniest chapter in there. Well, I don't know. I think there's other
1: points at which it gets funny, but all the listening to all his stories again, just so funny. You know, my mom ran over my dog. (laughs) I know that's not funny, but anyway, uh, I think the important thing to remember is now that he's broken out, there's not much of his past that he deals with. He's always living in the moment and imagining the future. And uh, and he comes back from all of this uh, a much better person than when he left. So we'll get through it. We got a lot of chapters to go in it. and and a lot of them are fun chapters, a lot of them are funny chapters. There's I think there's humor in almost every one of them and 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 there's a lot of learning in all of them. So we can use it to kind of monitor
0: how we're doing. All right. Well, we'll see you again next week for more of our story, your story.
1: Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks for listening to Our Story, Your Story. We hope you enjoyed hearing our stories and those of our guests. We invite you to share your own stories with us by emailing us at stories at agkmedia.studio. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, keep telling your story, because your story matters.